Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Well, I want to um, finish today's on, on a series. It's a very short little series that I'm on. And the series is from 2 Timothy, and if you have your Bibles, would you take it, please? Let's go there. It's been that text. We're, we're just, we're absorbing that text. I hope you are. 2 Timothy chapter, 2 Timothy chapter 1. And in this passage of Scripture, in 2 Timothy, about two weeks ago, I really felt strongly, it doesn't happen often, uh, but just very strongly, I was to make a 90-degree turn in where I was going to go to this. And we need to be obedient when that happens. And so in doing that, I believe there's strategic reason why. And that strategic reason is I, I've already heard some stories in the last couple of weeks. I, I know that God is speaking and ministering through this text. I need to finish it up today. And... Uh, Again, this a series called Power, Love, and Sound Mind. Um, I want to start with uh, just a quick little story of a um, police officers who end up being uh, commissioned for the police force go through a very regimented, and they need to, very regimented uh, training and psychological examinations in order for them to uh, <laughs> carry a gun, basically, and provide protection. So um, there was a, a young police recruit was asked during one of his final exams, what would you do if you had to arrest your own mother? In which he promptly said, call for backup. <laughs> yes, there are some things you need to be afraid about. But this text is not one of those. So 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. Follow with me. I'm going to make a little bit of commentary as I go through. For this reason, pause. For this reason, Paul has just finished, so you have to go back and go, what, what reason was that? For this reason, he just finished saying, your grandma, God's hand was on her life, and she was used for the kingdom. Your mama, God's hand was on her life, and she was used for the kingdom. For this reason, for reason of evidence of God's hand on your life. For this reason, I remind you, pause again, you can only remind what the person knew the first time. Correct? You remind them of what they know. I remind you, you know this. To fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. I saw it in you, Paul said. I released it through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. I think we have it up here. Can we all read it together with one voice, everyone? For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us the spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Father, I ask that you would just bring revelation of that to our hearts and minds so we might practice what it is you are showing us this morning we pray in Jesus name 
Amen. I want to do a quick review. Again, invite you. There are notes. The notes are in the foyer. Uh, do stop by, pick up the notes. The notes, again, are available. I've had some ask, you know, would, would I give my notes and my... Really, the answer is uh, go on. There's some notes there. They're the scriptures that you see. But go on the podcast. Go on uh, the website. Uh, feel free to transcribe it if you want. I um, encourage you to do that if you haven't done so already. As a matter of fact, I just had somebody uh, just uh, email me. Uh, this, I guess it was yesterday. I got it this morning. And they were just talking how they've been tracking this on, on the website. And, and that's thrilling because they testified about what God was doing in regard to this. So I really want to bring this around today. The, the series is called Power, Love, and Sound Mind. Backing it up now. When we surrender, when you gave your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, when you surrendered your life and accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior and surrendered your life to His authority, you were granted at that moment of that faith decision positional authority. In other words, you were placed by Christ himself in what the Bible says heavenly places, heavenly realms, far above the enemy of your soul's ability to now dictate your life. You are not a slave to him anymore. You are now in a higher level of authority with Christ Jesus. However, if the devil can get you, the believer, to lay down your authority, then he can operate an authority in your life. He can't do it unless you lay it down. But if he can get you to lay it down, he can operate in authority. Intimidated believers lose their authority by the spirit, or in the spirit, lose their authority in that heavenly realm dimension by default. Consequently, their gift, their God-given gift, the ability, the purpose, the power, lies asleep and inactive. Intimidating spirit is a spirit. It's real. That's why he said it's an intimidating spirit. And it's related to witchcraft. Witchcraft seeks to control, seeks to manipulate. The purpose of that intimidation, we saw in the story Two weeks ago when we looked in Kings to the life of Elijah and we looked at how he, a great man of God, a great prophet of God, again, raised up by God for a mission, for a purpose. And he did great things for God. However, the one thing God needed him to complete, he didn't. The thing he needed to finish, he started the race, but he didn't finish the race. And what cut in on him was an intimidating spirit. It was from a person smaller in stature to him who he faced all of these huge obstacles, but an intimidating spirit came and he caved to that spirit. And that spirit gained authority. The purpose of that intimidation was to prevent Elijah from completing God's purpose in his life. Beloved, this morning, that's exactly what that spirit continues to do. His purpose is to stop you from completing God's purpose in your life. Pause for purpose. Because that ought to make you mad. He will do what he can to stop your purpose. An intimidating spirit will unleash confusion, discouragement, frustration. You will begin to lose perspective. Everything seems overwhelming. 
And so Paul says to young Timothy, rising up, Paul speaks into his life and says, Timothy, fan into flame. I remind you of this, to fan into flame. I like to use a present 21st century expression. I like to use the phrase, wake up the gift. Timothy, the gift is lying sleeping. Wake it up. Wake it up, Timothy. I'm speaking to wake something. I'm shaking you. Come awake. Come awake. Come out of slumber. John chapter 10, verse 10, the Bible says Satan comes, Jesus says this, to steal, kill, and to destroy. The word steal comes from the word klepto. The word klepto means recurrent urge to steal without any regard for need or profit. In other words, the word steal here, he doesn't do it for benefit. He does not do it for need. He steals from you for the sole purpose that you don't have it. No other reason. So you don't have it. Klepto, he steals. The enemy comes, the devil comes, seek to steal, kill, and destroy. If he can steal, again, he takes your authority, then he can successfully kill what God's plan for your life is. He'll put, to, put it to death and destroy what God's plan is. He takes your identity. You don't know who you are. And so we last week talked of Jesus and the test that is before us. Jesus would go to Gethsemane. And in Gethsemane, we have a picture of Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane means, somebody tell me, oil press. Gethsemane actually means oil press. And all of, olives don't just like release their oil on their own. It has to be under intense pressure for the oil to come out, the oil press. And the picture of Gethsemane was Jesus laboring before God. What was happening was he was under a test. What was going to be inside was going to come out. And in this test, he was facing this fundamental thing. He was deciding whether the love for God was going to be divided with love for self. Was he going to be all out, your will be done? regardless of mine. Because he had asked earlier, is there a way for this cup to pass from me? And the battle took place at Gethsemane, but his heart came forward, and his heart was, but not my will. And when he came to that resolute decision, he went immediately from there before the spirit of intimidation, one after the other. He went before all the big brass of his time, and he said not a word, and, he, and stood with authority. He was victorious. While that was happening, we saw last week, Peter and the disciples, they had their own Gethsemane. Didn't turn out so well. The spirit of intimidation came upon them. Look what happened. And so we see all this take place. And out of all that, we come down to that the, we made a point saying the root of fear and intimidation is the love of self. The root of fear and intimidation is the love of self. Got to tackle that one. 1 John 4, 18, there is no fear in love. There is no fear in love. There is zero, not even 1%, fear in perfect love. It says perfect love drives out fear. So the picture is fear moves in, but perfect love spits it back out. Perfect fear moves in, or fear moves in, perfect love spits it back out. There is no fear in perfect love. So our text, verse 7, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. I don't Particularly, even self-control is accurate. I don't like it because of what it tends to portray. It, the, the word self is there. 
That's why I tend not to use that word as much. I, I like maybe the word better, control. I would even be prepared to say more, instead of self-control, have the word God control. Even though self-control is accurate. It's not like it's inaccurate. I mean, you can't argue with Scripture, right? It, there's a translation that's accurate. But we've got to make sure we don't think we can work hard to do this. Right? You can't do it. God does it. But here's where the self comes in. But you have the choice to make, though. God just is, you know, you're going to hang out and God's just going to do it all. No, 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 no. It's your choice. You choose. You've been given that privilege and responsibility to choose. That's your part. But you make that decision and then watch God do the rest. But it is required of you to make that decision. So power, love, sound mind. Power simply means the gift of God's authority restored. The power comes through the power and the working of the Holy Spirit. I just picked up a book this week to read, and it's called, um, uh, hang on a second. The book is called um, Better Without Jesus. Life is Better Without Jesus. That's what the book's called. All right. I remember seeing it in the Christian bookstore. It's for $1.99, right? I buy them when they're $1.99. It's in the Christian bookstore. It's $1.99. It says, life is better without Jesus. And I thought, oh, heresy. <laughs> Picked it up off the shelf. And I was going to give a peace of mind to the Christian bookstore up in Barrie. Turned it over and I go, ooh, okay, that's what it means. It's the portion of scripture you probably picked up quicker than I did. It's the portion of scripture when Jesus was leaving. He was about to ascend to the Father. And he says, listen, life is better if I go. Because the Holy Spirit will abide in you. Well, isn't that good? So I like the title, Life is Better Without Jesus. I mean, it's not better without Jesus. You know what we're saying. Because he's saying, I'm sending my spirit and I will be with you. I will be with you. But I got to go. I got to go. So that you can operate in the full positional authority that God has given you. That's great. So I've been reading that book. I'm about a third of the way into it. And it really comes down to, this is the power. Secondly, he's given you love. And... We talked about love. We were just reading that earlier when we were looking back to uh, John chapter 4, 1 John 4, 18. There's no fear in love because perfect love. He's given perfect love. Agape. Agape. We've got to move into agape love. Selfless. I give everything love. We have to die to self to do that. And thirdly, sound mind versus self-discipline. Sound mind. Sound mind, the word mind can be interchanged with soul. Sound soul. Soul is your mind, your will, your will, your intellect. He has given you soundness of those. That's where the decisions are made. And I'm not going to, I was going to originally break all these down and talk about the Greek words and stuff. And as I went through the different commentaries on them, I was realizing that you, you're not to split these up. They're a trinity that's meant to be left together. It's not like you can choose, I'm going to choose the love because I like love, but I, you know, that whole self-discipline, sound mind thing. Yeah. And, and power, uh, just a little too power crazy. Or I like the power, but not really that last one. No, no, no. They have to come together. They're packaged. And I realize you can't split them up. So living in power, love, sound mind has to do with abiding under, the co under confidence. And I want to share two things that I think are instrumental as we wrap this up. Item number one. This is what we have to live under confidence. If we're going to have power, love, sound mind. The confidence, number one, you have to, Jesus is with me. 
And when I put that down, you can't, I can't tell you how many times I messed with this title thinking that is a silly title. Because, uh-huh. And then I thought, no, no, the whole point here is we got to know this, we got to know it, and we got to believe it, and we got to hold it. So yes, Jesus is with me. It's actually quite profound. When under the temptation of the spirit of intimidation, you need to do this. You need to remind yourself, self, and you need to remind the devil because there's a spirit involved. You need to remind that the fact is Jesus is with me. How many times we don't? And we start, go down this road that's very negative and dark, and we lose out to fear. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Let's, let's look at it. Hebrews 13, verse 5. Mark it down. Write it. Hebrews 13, 5. God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence. It didn't say you think with confidence. It didn't say you believe with confidence. So we say. We say it out. We say with confidence. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. You've got to let your ears hear it. You've got to speak it to your soul and you've got to speak it to this spirit of intimidation. We will say with confidence, not, oh, the Lord is here. No, say with confidence. You say it like a police officer would tell you you're about to get a ticket. There's no tentativeness about it. You are going to get it. It's like your mother or your father when you got in trouble. No tentativeness about it. You were going to pay the penalty. So you say it with confidence. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? <laughs> Verse 7. Remember your leaders? Remember? Who spoke the word of God to you? Consider the outcome of their, their way of life and imitate their faith. Verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus promises that he will never leave us. He promises he will never forsake us. And once we get this into our spirit and declare it regularly, not just a cognitive, oh, I knew that, but declare it. It becomes a part of your declaration, daily declaration. Might I say hourly declaration. Once we get it into that spot that he is my helper, I will not fear. He is my helper. So when fear pops its ugly head into your life, moves through your family and tries to move and destroy and steal in your family, when it begins to move into your workplace, move into your physical life, when fear pops its head into your life, you have no room for fear. This is where we declare, we declare some of these things. Number one, we declare that Jesus is with me. We declare something like this. The same Jesus who was in the fiery furnace with the three Hebrew boys, he's with me right now. We declare something like this. The same Jesus who was in the lion's den when lion was faced with hungry lions, that same Jesus is with me right now. We need to declare that that same Jesus that was with David when he fought Goliath, that same Jesus is with me right now. We need to say that that same Jesus who was with Gideon when he faced enormous odds against him 
impossibilities before him. That same Jesus is with me now. That same Jesus who was with the children of Israel when they bumped up against the Red Sea and it was an impossible situation, that same Jesus is with me right now. We got to declare that, church. We got to declare that. That's Hebrews. We got to declare that. The scripture says, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. Would you say that together with me? We got to declare that. That it's it's profound, really. But if we're going to operate in power, love, and sound mind, then we got to bring Christ into that very moment. And we move and we begin declaration, the Lord is my helper. And we say that same Jesus. And you begin to remind your soul and remind the devil that he's with you right now. He is with you in this moment. I have no reason to fear if God is with me. And you have no reason to fear because the Lord is with you. The Lord is near. Secondly, God is at the bottom. Now realize that Jesus is always with you, but the second thing I want you to realize is that God is at the bottom. And you go, that's kind of weird. What do you mean God is at the bottom? Here's what I'm saying. No matter how low the valley seems to go in your life, God is at the bottom. Even when you feel you've reached rock bottom, there's an expression. God is at the bottom. You say, well, how come I don't feel him? Well, the point is, is it doesn't really matter if you feel him or not. You need to realize he's there. You need to believe in the scripture. He is there. It's not about what you see. It's not about what you hear. not about what you feel. Is he there? Deuteronomy chapter 33, 26. It says, there is no one like the God of Jeshurun who rides across the heavens to help you and on the clouds in his majesty. The eternal God is your refuge, and underneath of the everlasting arms, he will drive out your enemies before you, saying, destroy them. Now, cycle back, verse 26. It says, there is no one like the God of Jeshurun, who rides across the heavens on the clouds in his majesty. Moses quoted this. He spoke this. This was his final departing words before he would go off the scene. He's giving a national address. They have looked up to him. They have followed him. He has taken them through some dangerous waters. And then this is what Moses is saying. This is part of his last address to the children of Israel when he makes this address. Verse 26, there is no one like the God of Jeshurun who rides in the heavens to help you and on the clouds in his majesty. He rides up in the heavens. Moses is describing God is on the top. He's above all. He's on high. He's the God who is great. He's the God who is mighty. I mean, think about it. Remember the mighty miracles that God performed on mountaintops? I mean, think about it. Mount Moriah is where God met Abraham and Isaac when he had a covenant. That was on a mountaintop. Mount Horeb, Moses encountered the burning bush. Mount Sinai, God gave the Ten Commandments. Mount Nebo, Moses looked across and saw the promised land from the mountain. Mount Carmel is where fire came down with Elijah. We know God is the God of the mountaintops. We know he is. But Moses makes a shift right after he says that. And all the listeners caught it. Verse 27, the eternal God is your refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms. And he will drive out your enemies before you saying, destroy them. The Hebrew word underneath means bottom. It means bottom. So you could translate the scripture saying, 
at the bottom are his everlasting arms. That's worth writing down. At the bottom. At the bottom, his arms are. At that place where you can't go any lower, his arms are still lower than that. His arms are still beneath you. At the bottom are his everlasting arms. Moses is saying, he says, when you get to the bottom, that's when you begin to get afraid. That's when fear takes over because you're at the bottom. You don't think you can go any lower. And fear comes in like a mighty flood. Intimidation might come at the bottom through what your doctor just told you. And you're at the bottom. Intimidation moves at the bottom because your banker has just told you where you are financially. And you're at the bottom. You're at the bottom because you opened up the fridge. There's nothing there. Your food pantry is empty. You're at the bottom. You're at the bottom because of your family and they've forsaken you. You're at the bottom because of your circumstances. Whatever the bottom is, no matter how deep the valley you have to walk, listen, he is saying God's arms are deeper. His arms are beneath you, even at your bottom. At the bottom. We may look... We may look like we are down, but we cannot go so low in despair, depression, sorrow, that his arms are not there. For the God of the mountain is also the God of the valleys. The God of the good times is the God of the bad times. The God of the day is the God of night. That's what Moses is saying. So when you see him on the mountaintops and things are going great, praise God. But don't ever forget, do not ever forget when you hit rock bottom, he's there and his arms are there. Didn't say his arms were up there. It says his arms were there holding you. So we can read in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, God saying, so never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we say, everybody say, say. say. Yeah, Greg's going, what did, you just, what did you just say? I said, say, say. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. Would you say that together again? The Lord. So what can mere mortals do to me? What can a person, what can intimidation? If God is my helper, I will not be afraid. I want to show you a last illustration. Because we started this whole series a couple weeks ago with Elijah. Elijah was a tremendous prophet. Uh, I love reading Elijah's stories. Anybody remember the guy who came after him, who took over? His name was Elisha. And you know which one's which, right? Elijah's first, Elisha's second. Second. Okay, helps me anyway. And the Bible says he received a double portion. And he finished what Elijah didn't. He had to finish it. So I want to, I want to, I, we started with Elijah. We saw him come up against the spirit of intimidation. And all he wanted to do was die. Let's look at Elisha for a moment. There's a story and it's an interesting story. I'm going to read it. We turn to 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 1 to 7. Okay, I'm just going to go through this very quickly. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 1 to 7. Elisha the prophet's talking about he had gone with a company of prophets. Here we go. He went to the Jordan and began to cut down trees. Verse 5. As one of them was cutting down a tree, now he's with a company of prophets. He's got a group of people. He's training them. These are people God's hands on their life, and he is training them to operate in the will and the purpose and plans of God. 
He's traveling with them. They're in the Jordan, began to cut down trees. Verse 5. As one of them, company of prophets, was cutting down a tree, the iron axe had fell into the water. Oh no, my Lord, he cried. It was borrowed. The man of God, Elisha, asked, where did it fall? When he showed him the place, Elisha cut a stick and threw it there and made the iron float. Verse 7. Lift it out, he said. Then the man reached out his hand and took it out. Okay. Now, I've read that a number of times. And thought that's just kind of a weird story. Until I dug in. And I began to realize that's not a weird story at all. This fits perfectly with what we're talking about. First of all, why did the axe head fall into the water? Well, it, it, it just mentions here, he was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water. So I began to search it. Why did it fall into the water? Well, typical, what was happening is, is they believe... It was blunt. And when things are blunt, when an axe head is blunt, it requires a lot more effort and strength to do what it could have done when it was sharp. And they suspect that typical to the time and era and what was happening in the story, probably it was borrowed. You know, borrowed things aren't looked after that well. And you just kind of let them go. So, because he's, he, well, he, well, he said it was borrowed. So it was borrowed. It was blunt. He was using extra strength trying to do the work he was, and, and it blew off, landed in the water. It was borrowed. It was blunt. Borrowed things, um, because they're not your own, often we don't look after them the same way. <laughs> like leased vehicles, okay? Uh, on we go. So, here's the point. When it comes to God's plan and mission in your life, you can't borrow someone else's. You can't borrow someone else's. When it comes to rising up a power, love, and sound mind, you can't borrow your pastors. You can't borrow your husbands. You can't be your wife's. It can't be whoever. You can't borrow it. It's got to be yours. Because borrowed things you put no investment into. It's got to be something that costs you everything. You see, if it's yours, it costs you something. It costs you something significant. If it's borrowed, it doesn't. The anointing of God cannot be borrowed. The power and the love and the sound mind can't be borrowed. You've got to decide that you will be paying the ultimate cost for God's plan for your life. I'm going to tell you straight up. In this audience, even this side, the number will not. Just numbers. Number will not. They'll say, no, I won't do that. Might not say it, but they won't do it. So if you might as well say it. But there's a number of us here who are saying, I will do whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. For God's fullness and anointing and authority to be upon my life. Whatever it takes. I'll leave no rock unturned. I'll leave no meeting unmet. I will, meet, I will leave nothing left in order for his anointing to be upon my life. You see, if it's borrowed, you will not put investment in it. It will not cost you much. And it has to cost you much. The only source is God, and God never gives without requiring investment. Investment. Therefore, are you willing to pay the price? Are you willing to pay the price to take hold of this? Power and love and somehow. We just want it. We just want it. I'm going to tell you, it's going to cost you going to cost you. You can't borrow it. It's not somebody else's. 
So it's going to disqualify people who are going to say, I'm not prepared to do that. Yes, I get that. I get it. But on the same hand, I'm believing even in the audience today and those listening on podcasts that you're saying yes because you're fed up with being stolen from. And you're saying, I am going to take what God has given me. I am not going to borrow someone else. I will pay the price to take hold of it. It will cost you something. So how do you retrieve an axe head in the river? 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 6. The man of God asked, where did it fall? Yeah, you're picking it up. Where did it happen? Where did it happen? Go back to where it happened. Where did you enter into that place of confusion? Where did you fall into the place of discouragement? Where was it frustration took over? Where was it you lost perspective? Where was it you became overwhelmed? Where did you lose it? Go back to where it was lost. Where is it? Did you note how Elisha led in that question? Where did you lose it? Because there you got to go back to. That's where it is. You pick it up again and move on. Beloved, here this morning, that question is as clarion as it's going to get. Where did you lose it? Where was it that fear cut in? Where was it intimidation took over? Where was it the spirit of control and manipulation came in? Where did you lose it? Where was it? The enemy cut in and entangled you in your walk. Where was it? Go back to it. Go back to it. And you start when you get there to wherever that is and ask God where that is. If you don't know, he'll show you. He'll take you. And you start by saying, God, I'm sorry. It's called repentance. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for it happening right here. Go back to where... So Elisha asked him, where... Did you lose it? And go back to that place. That's where God is going to perform his miracle. And he will make it float again. (laughs) Hallelujah. God can make iron float. Okay? God can make iron float. David knew this. I mean, think about David. King David in the Bible. David faced Goliath. Goliath was the personification of intimidation. Goliath. He faced Goliath. No intimidation. Breeze through. David would face King Saul and all these people that were trying to kill him. No intimidation. But somewhere, listen, somewhere between the shepherd field and the throne of Israel, David lost it. He, he did lose it. You come into that period of David's life where, he, life where he lost it under intimidation. And if Goliath had come along at that point in David's life, the story would have been different. Right? So... Where did you lose it? Now note that when the prophet said to the other prophet who lost the axe head, he said, uh, where did you lose it? Um, Note the water system they were at. It says, because the prophet says, uh, they went back and then he cut down a stick and he threw in a stick. He threw what he he had in to get what was lost. uh, But note the water system, it was a river. The story is not about a pond, not about a lake, not about a sea. This is important. You see, a pond, lake, sea, still water. Rivers are flowing. Rivers are flowing. So when he took the stick and he threw the stick into the river, the axe head popped up to the top. And he said, take it. 
How much time do you think he had to get, get that access? It's a river. Come on, think about it. Seconds. He didn't have time to think about it. He didn't have time to ask, was this a good idea or not? He didn't have time to contemplate it. When the axe head came up, the prophet said, you better grab it. You better grab it. The moment's now. The moment's now. In other words, when God begins to perform the miracle of transformation, you plunge in with everything in you. Grab it. Paul the Apostle, Philippians chapter 3, verse 13, he says, I take it. I take hold of it with force as Christ took hold of me. How did Christ take hold of Paul? He knocked him off a horse. It was forcefully. And so when that axe head comes up, the prophet says, now grab it. It's in a river. It's going to float. It's, gonna, it's going. You better get it. You better get it. There's something, beloved, grab a hold of this. Run after it. Plunge into the river. Do whatever it is. It's not the time to discuss it, to think about it, to ponder it. You go after when God begins to bring it to the surface. Grab it. Grab it. And you'll receive the miracle. So we come back to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. For this reason. The reason why? It's evidence God's hands on you. I remind you, because you already know this, to awaken the gift God has given you through the release of the Spirit, the laying on of hands. For God did not give you a spirit of timidity that came upon you, but what He has given you is a spirit of love, power, love, and self-discipline. And this morning, I thought, let's close with that. That... We need to know Jesus is with me. His arms are at your bottom. If you're at the bottom, he's there. And you need to declare it. The Lord is my helper. The Lord is my helper. The Lord is my helper. But in so doing, the Lord is saying, where did you lose it? Go back to that place. Because there, the miracle of a fresh release of your anointing is going to come. He didn't give him a new axe head. He didn't. He gave the old back again. He's not gonna. He's not gonna. You know, do it without you responding. But you having gone back to that place, where is it? And there, repent. Renounce the things that once were. Come against that against your soul and your spirit. And then, as God begins to bring the miracle, you plunge in. It's got to cost you something. Can't be borrowed. Got to cost you something. Father in heaven, I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, that you are faithful to your word. I thank you, Lord, that you have brought us to this moment. And I thank you, Lord, that you want to finish it. Maybe, Lord, you really want to start it. I thank you, God, that there is already an awakening going on even now. It's not about to take place. I believe already there's an awakening of your spirit already taking place here this morning. There's something coming alive that was dead. There's something rising up that was down. There's something just beginning to, our hearts racing, our, our, our hands are getting clammy. God, we know something's about to happen. We know, we know we're on the brink of a God miracle. And that God miracle is not about another person. The God miracle is about me. It's about us. The God miracle is about us. You have not forsaken us. You have not left us. You are here and you've heard. And so, Lord, I pray, just as you did with Elisha, when you brought that anointing upon him, in that situation that really seemed weird, 
that God, you want to make that axe head float. You want us to be reinstated and reawakened for the purpose of seeing a kingdom restored in our life, kingdom restored in the lives around us. God, you would make us kingdom men and women. And so this morning we say, we say yes. We go back, show us Holy Spirit where that is that was stolen, where it was intimidation rose in. It might be just a few weeks ago, might be a few years ago. Maybe it was when we were young and we know it was about that time. It was, it was there. We know it because you're going to bring it to our mind. So Lord, we go back to that place just as Elisha told him to go back to where it was and we ask God, forgive us. I'm sorry. Lord, sorry that we we didn't, we didn't rise up and believe you. Sorry we didn't declare it then. Sorry that we gave in to fear. But not today, we're not. Today's a new day. Lord, you said you are the same yesterday as you were in the time of Elisha, that you are today. And you will be again tomorrow. And so in that consistency, in your faithfulness, we have confidence to say, you are my helper, you will never leave me. You are my helper. And so, God, I pray in the next few minutes that, God, there be transformation, the reinstatement of power, love, and sound mind. Not once, not in its fullness. God, I believe it's going to grow. I believe it's going to develop. I believe it's going to mature. But, God, I pray that we will, at the point of our repentance, our renunciation of the past, and the acceptance of what you are offering today, that, God, we're going to be victorious every time the spirit of fear rises up against us. We're going to be victorious in Jesus' name. Grant it, we pray. In your precious name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.